Here it comes. It's Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter, the podcast that interviews the most interesting and influential people making an impact on Nashville's business, charitable, and entertainment scenes. Joining us now from his roving camper studio, here's Andrew. Welcome to episode 54 of Nashville Untold, and thank you for tuning in. Today, I sit down with Mark Oglesby. Mark is the tour manager for Kane Brown currently. He was the tour manager for One Republic for over a decade. We talk about how that all came to fruition and some exciting times during his touring with them. Mark describes himself as a pale skin tone, medium to large forehead, pointed nose, average jawline, off tan teeth, decent calf game, receding hairline. As you can tell, he has a pretty good sense of humor and that's uh, brought out as we... uh, chat and hear some of his story he's a kansas city native tennessee is home he's a husband papa runner sports enthusiast he is six and a half years sober we dive into some of that as well and uh he has been a tour manager for musicians since 2001 we talk about everything from touring managing running parenting marriage his childhood the importance of family and why he is excited to be touring with Kane Brown. And you will definitely get a lot of value out of this interview. And if you do know Mark, you will know a lot more about him after you listen to this episode. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, Nashville. Hello, Nashville. It's been a while. Um, I think it's been probably a year since I've had the Rambler out. Hey, I'm honored. Appreciate you uh, taking the time to hang out with me. Absolutely. I'm hanging out with Mark Oglesby. I said it right, right? Oglesby, you got Oglesby. it. Um, and uh, as we already went into his bio a little bit, so we're gonna go ahead and get started. Okay, dope. All right, so uh, let's go back, way back, back in the time. Okay. What do you remember about the day you entered this world? Well, I was born at a young age. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, man, what do I remember? Uh, I, wa- I was born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, for those who know the, the difference. Uh, and I'm still to this day a diehard uh, Kansas City sports and uh, beef enthusiast. Okay. Uh, I, le- I was also a, a beer enthusiast at the back in my day. But um, yeah, I you know, my parents were high school sweethearts and uh, had a super cool childhood. Um, I had at the time one brother, uh, and you know, my dad was, my dad's a, I don't know if you've seen Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. That's my dad. My, you know dad. what? I, I'm sorry. I thought Yellowstone. I haven't actually seen Yellowstone, but you're familiar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've heard the of Kevin it. Costner character is my dad. My dad is Paul Bunyan. Okay. <laughs> he is tough as nails and wants it to be 1820. Uh-huh. <laughs> like he lives on a farm. So yeah, you know, I was raised with, with uh, that in a family business called Oglesby Tile. So I was always the grandson of the owner walking around picking up scraps, and then my dad took it over, and I helped with that. Uh, you would think that that formed a, a strong work ethic in me. It, it did mentally, but physically it taught me I don't want to do that for mm-hmm. a um, humbly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, my, and my mom was a uh, wonderful uh, homekeeper, um, you know, super active. Uh, so our childhood was, uh, you know, we would swim most days and I'd go cycling with her and running, and that's, you know, later in life that obviously that spark continues with me but um yeah man i mean you know nothing nothing outside the ordinary for childhood it was very so is there a difference between kansas city missouri and kansas city kansas yeah one is good and one is not 
So is it kind of like St. Louis and then <laughs> yeah, the other side East of the St. river? Louis, yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's a joke. Like, yes. Uh, yeah, kid, there's a Kansas City, Missouri, and a Kansas City, Kansas. And probably nine out of ten people when I say I'm from KC ask me, oh, Missouri or Kansas. And to put it this way, I have yet to meet someone that says they're from Kansas City and says Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, because, like, we call that KCK, but there's other – there's, like, Wyandotte. There's other different names for it. So, mm-hmm. like, if you live there, you don't really call it. I could be wrong now. It's, it's, I've been gone a long time. But, yeah, we don't really call it Kansas City, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Like, in my mind, when I hear KC, I think of Kansas City, Missouri. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, cool. All right, so when you look at your son, what are some memories that flood your mind from those early years in your childhood? I know you hit on some of your childhood, but maybe a few more that – yeah, on, riding a bike or you know oh man so yeah so my my son uh my wife is is very uh she's an introvert uh highly educated and astute she's fine sitting in a corner with a book and and letting people come to her i am desperate for attention and my son definitely has inherited that trait um he is a wild man so uh, how about so were you you knew you were like that when you were a child oh, yeah, as well dude. i mean yes uh, and i think i get that from my dad like um yeah, he's he's just a ball of energy, and as am I. Um, and so he he swam. He's a really he's five and a half now, and he's a great swimmer. We had him swimming as an inf- like little. I think it was just before he turned one. We did started uh, enrolling him in where you, you know you drop these infants in the water. Right, so, right, right. So yeah, he, yeah. Strong swimmer, which is important to me. Um, he loves sports, and I mean, again, like nature versus nurture. I now am seeing just even at his young age, like how the influences of me always having ESPN on. Right, and the year he was born in 2015, that you know the Royals had just won the World Series, and and then the Chiefs, you know, we get Patrick Mahomes. So like he's growing up seeing this this dynasty of Kansas City sports teams, and so I see that in him uh, because I, I, you know when I was growing up in the 80s in KC, we had George Brett and Derek Thomas and Bo Jackson, and and I, I see a lot of those parallels. And today, in fact, he's going to camp, and he got some. We, we went to the Nike store the other day and got him some new basketball shoes. Mm-hmm. So he is. He's he's thrilled, but he's also very. Um, I I'm definitely OCD, mm-hmm. and he is as well because he doesn't he can't wrap his mind around it's okay to wear basketball shoes while not playing basketball. Oh, gotcha. You know that's like no, these are for basketballs. So although my although I think we'd be like no, we spent the money on those basketball oh. shoes. You're not getting those dirty. You're just wearing them for basketball. Yeah. yeah. So did you when you were when thinking about you when you were a child? Did you go to sporting events and stuff when oh, you yeah, were there man. with your dad? Yeah, my my dad uh, my dad was a great athlete. Uh, played high school and I went into college some, but he uh, yeah great athlete, strong uh, and fast, and so he always played beer league softball as I you know and uh, we you know kayaking and, and very act fishing and very active, and so he took me along for all that stuff, and so I do that with with, with my son, but yeah we. Uh, we, you know, we didn't grow up with money, so we, we couldn't really afford to go to the games. Um, you know, maybe a friend through work or something would give him tickets and we would go, but we always watched, always listened. On the One of the foundations of our, my how we operate our family, you know, uh, my wife, I think my wife probably grew up a, a little bit more privileged than I did, but, you know, we were, I think, we talk about, and we talk about this often in the house, like, I think in hindsight, we weren't poor but, by any measure, but I mean, you know, it was a single working household. My mom stayed home and raised the kids. And my dad would get up at 4 a.m. because he's laying tile, and he would go and, and lay tile till 6 p.m. And, he, and my memories are vivid of I could smell grout and drywall. He was always covered in dirt. And, you know, it was it's called Oglesby Tile. It was his name on the door. And I remember my mom always getting upset because, like, we we never really had any creature comforts. And she was mm-hmm. like, you own the company. And his, his point was correct. I own the company. So the money goes into the company. So, you know, 
being raised in that environment, we were surrounded with love though. And, and the fam, like we have a really tight family in KC. And so I didn't know, I never had Nikes. My first pair of Nikes was in mm-hmm. seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't get the Nintendo till it was like, you know, five mm-hmm. years old. And I was mm-hmm. already a teen. It was, you know, I was embarrassed. And like when, when kids were getting, you know, new ball gloves, I had my dad's old janky ball glove from high school and I'm like seven, you know, like, um, but what that and also you know, my first car I bought all my I, my parents never bought me a car and my dad sold me his Bronco sold mm-hmm. it to me like I had to buy it from him mm-hmm. um, so all, I'm so thankful for that right. because it's created who I am and um, you know we'll, I know we'll touch on that but yeah being an older I'm an older parent to a young child it's, right. it's very on the front of my radar as to how we handle that he goes to a private school so you know we we are afforded uh, some certain luxuries in life that I never was exposed mm-hmm. to as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to make sure that he understands the value of that. And so you know, I mentioned buying him Nikes. That was the first pair of Nikes I've ever bought. We've intentionally mm-hmm. not given him that system. I went to the outlet. Right. We go to Target and Marshalls. I, right. I, I want, I don't ever want him to take for granted. Right. You know, things. And, and we, we really instill in him, the you know, even at his young age, you know, the value of, of time right which in america translates to the value of money yeah, yeah. You know? and so and it, it's a tool and a resource mm-hmm. so i'm thankful i was raised like that because um and now as i run comp- business you know i run businesses and so that tra- that 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 is the fundamental impact on how mm-hmm. i operate a business yeah i yeah. understand the value of a dollar right. goes into it cool all right so uh now that you're starting to notice hair growing on your legs and other places <laughs> what else do you start to notice or get into during those early teen years? Well, so when I was 12, my parents got divorced, which absolutely wrecked my life. Mm. Um, you, you know, Yeah, that's a pretty... Sometimes it's younger or older, yeah. but that's like, bam, right in the middle. No, it was the definitive... Mm. Uh, it, it That changed the trajectory of my life. And I wouldn't be in Tennessee today if that had not happened, I'm certain. Um, because it caused teenage angst, and it caused mm. uh, self-doubt, and it, you know, it, it un just unset my entire foundation because my parents were they were high school sweethearts and mm. all of the, they're still to this day my mom's no longer with us but my dad and all their friends are their friends from childhood and they, they never left their hometown and so in my family both families were huge up there so for me it just wrecked wrecked my world um and you know i, I never got into drugs or anything like that but i i was already what you would call a rebellious child mm-hmm. <laughs> and that definitely was the kerosene on the fire, man. Um, and that, you know, caused me at 19 years old, which I know, you know, again, I'm fast forwarding, but that caused me at 19 to leave with both middle fingers in the sky and mm-hmm. move as far away as I could afford, which at that time was Johnson City, Tennessee, which is 1,100 miles from Kansas City. So did you get along with your parents? Like during that time? Like who'd you no. live with or what, well, what was? I mean, I went back, back and forth. Um, Whoever gave you or didn't, whoever you got disciplined. I was thinking about that with, oh, our, with my dad. I was like, or I didn't say it as often, but my sister eventually did leave and live with my dad, which was kind of crazy. But it would we'd throw the threat out at times, you know. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to live with dad. Well, fine, go. Yeah, I ran away several times, which meant I ran to like the local woods and sat in the woods till I got cold and came home. Um, police came to the house multiple times because my mom didn't know what to do. I was never violent, but I was just a you know, pissed off kid and with influences of Kurt Cobain and NWA, you know, so, so it all, so that stemmed from your parents. 100%. Divorcing. So thinking about, thinking about that and obviously, you know, the divorce rates are still, you know, pretty high. Like what, what do you think could have been done different to, you know, 
what could your parents have done different aside from not getting divorced to help you through that time? Well, you know thankfully, what I mean? yeah, and thankfully, you know, my dad and I are, are cool yeah, now, yeah. obviously. You know, but um, and my mom and I, like, thankfully, she was very candid with me later in life as to what all happened, mm. and so that gave me a real good roadmap to how I will conduct my marriage. You know, I just celebrated mm-hmm. 17 years of marriage. That yeah, that that is a great roadmap for me to understand. Okay. This is where, this is the bridge my parents fell off of, you know, so approach this bridge with caution. There's ice on the road up here. There's, there's right, landmines right. here. So, you know, that, that helped me understand like this. If you don't address these issues in this manner, this is what may happen. So how do you think though, from your, from a kid's perspective, like how does that, you think that they could have done anything to where you don't go rebellious and be a crazy kid with fingers in the air? Or do you think that was just kind of part of your, journey or like could you have gone to counseling and we you did know. We, we i went to multiple counseling I mean, oh, okay okay yeah. no I, I i got kicked out of school twice like i mean again like by no means was i you know stealing <laughs> stuff did. from 7-eleven to buy meth right, right. but yeah i was not a i was not an easy kid um you said you had a sibling younger yeah, older younger yeah he's so at that time yeah i had one brother who was four and a half years younger now okay. i have five six siblings or seven of us okay now. okay um yeah you know i just because of my personality, um, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. Yeah, you know, right here, um, right yeah, on. I love to fly. So that that you know, my sixth grade teacher, Miss Stevenson, my mom and dad got divorced that summer into seventh grade. But she wrote, she little did she know what was happening in our family. She wrote my mom, who was on the PTA, a letter that said, uh, "Mark will be a great adult one day," mm. <laughs> meaning like right now, this is not enjoyable for anyone. Involved. Right, right. Um, so yeah, in hindsight, I went to live with my granny. Went to live with my grandparents, went to live with aunts in Florida. Man. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, cause my parents didn't know what to do. And I think it probably, t- now again, with the benefit of hindsight, I'm sure yeah. like they they had great remorse and great regret. Right. And they, I think for them it was, I was the physical manifestation of their pain. Mm. You know? Well, and that's, yeah, that is the sad reality, which we can hit on, we'll hit on marriage stuff later. But, you know, it's like if Nala and I aren't happy with each other, guess who's going to get the brunt of it? Like, yeah, it, it, we're going to, you know, they're going to do something that they shouldn't do, but we're going to take it to the next level because we're not happy with ourselves, you know, so then we're going to take it out on that. Like, 100%. so yeah, that's uh, crazy. Our, our house was, was very nuclear, like a nuclear home with mom working in the kitchen. So it was very wait till your father gets home right. prior to the divorce. You know, it was like, and so it was like, that's the worst death sentence ever, mm-hmm. you know? So that, that continued on post-divorce where it was, okay, I'm calling your father. And it, you know, me calling her bluff, like, yeah, go ahead. And then she did. And it was like, oh, God. <laughs> I well, regret that. <laughs> yeah, we, we've had many of those conversations. Because it's like, I don't want to come home and be like, all right, there's dad. Like, what kind of setting are you setting your kid up to, yeah. like, fear? I mean, sure, there's a healthy fear, but. The belt, maybe. Yeah, like, I, you know. Yeah, anyways, we can. <laughs> lots of conversations. I, I can't afford in, your hourly rate in right In parenting. Now. <laughs> and, uh, no, I'm, I'm talking to myself. Um all right, so did you uh, did you compile a lot of great memories in high school, <laughs> or were you happy to see those days come and go? You know, I right now I'm going to fast forward a bit. Yep. Right now, I am the most happy I've ever been in my life, hmm. and which again I know we'll touch on that. Yeah, a lot of that has to do with I actually through the last year and a half looked back to when have I been the most happy in my life? Okay, and it was high school. Hmm. Funny enough, because. You know, you're care. I, I, I was carefree. I, I'm a lover, not a fighter. And especially in high school, 
I had black friends, gay friends. My best friend was from Vietnam. My other best friend was black. Like my mm. best friend was Italian. You know, um, I was the kid that would walk in the lunchroom and go, you know, look at the the dork over there and be like, "Oh, that's my guy," and mm-hmm. go sit there. And then, very twenty minutes later, I'm sitting having right lunch with the jocks, and you know, um, no enemies. You know, try to leap, make everyone my friend, and make sure everybody has a, a better day than they did before we met. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like that was that was the, my favorite part of life. Um, I, you know, I'm, as we touched on, I love sports and I never really, I never excelled in sports, but I tried to play in high school and stuff. And so I, I think I probably, you know, boy, if I could do things different, I, I would certainly love to have probably been better at sports than I was. And that comes from just lack of, you know, it wasn't lack of discipline. I, I, lo- I played every day, all day, but, um, you know, I just didn't realize that you could make a living after playing sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, high school was phenomenal. I started working at 14. So, you know, in high school, I mean, I had money. Like, you know, so I was buying Tommy Hilfiger, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. My one Hilfiger shirt. Yeah, I was the same, man. I started working at like 12 and 13. <laughs> so how did that translate into getting kicked out of school a couple of times? So, yeah, I went to uh, Lee Summit, Tri-City, Raytown. I went to three high schools five different times. And then if you count junior high, it would have been another two junior highs. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, my parents, we did public, we did private. Um and Being such a likable kid, though, well, how did that? You still had a part that you just didn't want to learn, or something? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I like in fact, high school graduation, I didn't even graduate. Like when I walked across, my mom had to talk to the principal to allow them to give me a blank sheet of paper, so that way they could at least celebrate. But then mm-hmm. I had to go to summer school, and I got a D in summer school. I remember my mom was so upset. She's like, "If you don't pass this, you will not graduate high school." And even then, I was like, "I don't care at all. Like, I there's no amount of me that." Whatever you say is not going to change the outcome. And the irony is it was in math, and I, you don't know this, but like, I'm wired mathematically. Mm. I love math. I'm great at math. I do counting for a living now, you know. And I knew back then, like, I know what I'm looking at. I just don't care. Right. I think it's probably authority. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just the rebellious. Yeah. Did you go to church or do any of that? Yeah, yeah. Got kicked out of that, too. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we were on a church in... My first time getting kicked out was in eighth grade, and we were on a church retreat. And the boys' bus pulled up next to the girls' bus on Seven Highway in Blue Springs, and I mooned the girls' oh bus. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it turns out, uh, you know, that's not okay, <laughs> especially as a 13, 14 year old boy. So naturally, they told the, you know, the principal, and and yeah, so they called my mom in. And I got kicked out. So you know, what it kind of sounds like, which you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that. You were likable, the seven. You loved attention. You took that attention to the next level, and you replaced probably the schooling academics with attention, and the attention got you in trouble because you went 100% above it. 100%. I brought a water gun to to math in in high school. (laughs) I mean, it's interesting because, like, I think about Bryce. Like, literally, he talks about – so he's 13 – and he he loves I just love the attention and oh yeah I'm making these people laugh and this and that and and I'm just like all right it's part of your personality but you got to be careful because not all teachers are gonna enjoy that and and and, and that's what it's made me think of it's like because even with you getting kicked out what you're telling me doesn't connect and getting kicked out but I'm like no I can't I get it if you're so dying for attention not always in a bad way but like other people can't see why you need it until you get in trouble yeah know? and then you know the boy who cries wolf or where there's right right 
like naturally I b- built a reputation up in the teaching community of like problem child. Right. And the, the humorous thing was I'm not sleeping around. I, I didn't give a crap about yeah. girls. I'm not stealing. I'm not doing drugs. I'm not. I wasn't drinking. I was just not fun to deal with because I wouldn't do what they say. Man, and that's another whole topic. Think about that. In such a short period of time, the label that can be put on you, and oh, yeah. now you're labeled that, and how much does that affect you? I mean, oh, that's great. a conversation we've had to have again with Bryce in some scenarios is that, like, you, you've got a mark on you now. And, like, that's you can't define yourself like that, but you do have to be aware true, of that, yeah. you know? No, for sure. I mean, I... I got kicked out of my freshman year of college. <laughs> my dad was pissed. Oh my goodness, you're hilarious. Yeah. Um, all right, so now, uh, all right, where are we at? Okay, so did you have your future planned out uh, before you flipped the graduation tassel? Obviously, your next you know six months of grad or of uh, schooling. All right, let's say that again. Did you have your future planned out before you flipped the graduation tassel, or were you hoping for the best? Oh, man. Well, that definitely has never changed. Um, I always hope for the best regardless, um, and I always bet on myself. And, yes, I, dude, I know exactly where I was at. I mean, the day that we graduated, my friends and I, again, I didn't drink, but I thought it was cool to get beer bottle caps, and we handed the principal beer bottle caps when we shook his hand, which, okay. of course, didn't go over well. Just um, for fun. Yeah, during yeah. as we crossed the right. thing. But I knew... Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew, though, that it was going to be okay. I, I didn't know what I was... I, I knew to an extent, like, I would be doing something enjoyable. Uh, you know, as a seven, that's what we do, right? Right, like, right. And so I knew, like, whatever it was I did in life, it was going to be enjoyable. But I also didn't care about... I still... I've never cared about the social constructs of... Mm-hmm you know, how you're quote unquote supposed to do things. Like one word that irks me is industry standard. Mm-hmm. Like I don't roll with that. I never mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I didn't know, you know, at 17, I didn't have the world figured out, but I certainly knew that like, I'm good. Yeah. It's cool. I'm a cat. I land on my feet. So, you know, did you go to college? So I went to long. Oh yeah. You said first. Yeah. Longview yeah. community college in Lee summit where I'm from. Uh, and I got, yeah, I got kicked out really quickly. Uh, first, first semester there which was a bummer because like so many of my friends went there so i was just upset about the social but i was also working 40 50 hours a week so mm. for me that just allowed me more time to go work right um, right so i was fine i didn't care at all i was only going to, to college as a formality like right my, my parents were like you have to do something and you've been given a second lease and I, I didn't care at all it was like, so and you got kicked out of college why um my friend jen he, uh who is v- vietnamese was brilliant and uh we were in math and i was failing miserably and so um i cheated off of him and got caught and they asked me about it and i just remember i can't recall the exact details but i I know that my reply didn't i know i said something that embarrassed the teacher Mm. as a way to flip it and that poked the bear and so that was so instead of getting kicked out of the actual class, you got kicked out of the college. Yeah, that was really. Yeah, that was a. Was it a smaller college? Yeah, yeah, it was a community college. Okay, like Ball State. Yeah, uh, yeah, called Longview. So yeah, that was my, you were not welcome here. <laughs> so then you did you go back? <laughs> no, no. Nope. So I I, uh, I don't know if you want to touch on this yet, but yeah. So I, I had, from fourteen, I started working uh, doing fragrance models. Okay. Where you're in the department stores handing out samples. Oh yeah, yeah. Dude, I was. This was in the '90s. I was getting twenty dollars an hour. Wow. Yes. As a fourteen-year-old child, my mom knew somebody. Holy moly! That will hire me, dude. I mean, I'm in eighth grade. I got what pair of Oakleys do I want to wear this week? You know, every shoe I want. Like 
world's my oyster. Didn't mm-hmm. invest one cent. Um, and so I did that. And then when at 16, I started working for a clothing store called The Buckle. Yep. Which is a Midwest oh, yeah. store. Right. Yeah. And so um, they identified my personality really quickly as, oh, we can use this kid to sell some expensive jeans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I had been promoted my junior year to assistant manager. So I'm working. I got one of those um, deals where you could like, I got out of school at 1010. I remember at 1010 in high school. I was done already for the day. And I would drive to the mall because it opened at 10. And I would get there by 11 and then work a full shift hmm. every day. So, again, I'm, like, balling. And, and I'm getting, like, 401K and health insurance. I mean, I'm a, I'm a minor. Right. Um, and when I turned 19 and got kicked out of college, I think they realized, like, oh, we should snag him up. So they offered me a job as a manager okay. and gave me a list of where I wanted to go. And uh, I, I had been into rock climbing. My sister owns a, a big gym in Kansas City, or did, uh, called Ibex. So I'd been really big into rock climbing, um, and I chose Tennessee. That's why I chose to move to Tennessee. Was Northeast okay. Tennessee had the Appalachian Trail running through it, and I thought, man, I can get far away from my family, I can go rock climb, and I can, you know, make money. And, and so, yeah, at 20 years old, I drove, you know, 1,100 miles away, and yeah, and uh, set up shop. So now, thinking about how hard you work from the age of 14, do do you think that was a factor of why you never excelled in sports because you were too busy working? I mean, I think the reason I didn't excel in sports is I'm just a klutz. <laughs> I mean, dude, I've been in the hospital three times this year. Like, I'm in the hospital all the time for stupid injuries. I, you know, I, I, go ahead. Well, and I was just curious because, like, uh, that was me. I was like, I played a couple sports, and then I worked. But I also didn't have a dad that was in the sports, so I never really practiced, you know. And so then I, I'm like, I have money. Bob Hill figure, you know. Yeah. I was trying to keep up with my friend who didn't have to pay for anything, you know. Yeah. Um, anyways, I was just curious. Total side note. No, dude. Um, it, well, my, my high school, uh, there were the, the, the super famous guy to come out of there, his name is Teron Liu. He's the coach for the Clippers. Um, and he won the championship with LeBron a couple years ago. Wow. So wow. when I transferred to this school, Raytown, um, I wanted to play basketball, mm-hmm. of course, because they were like the, the basketball. And, dude, like during tryouts, we're on the track. And I'm a runner, you know, and I'm running, looking down at the ground and didn't notice the temporary, uh, uh, uh golly, what's the word? Um, barricade. Uh, yeah. No. The, uh, can't think of the word, but the steps, they, they had moved okay. the, the, the stadiums. S- yeah. The seats. They okay. Moved yeah. Some seats out to the, oh, no. I didn't see, I ran smack into him. <laughs> Dude busted up my intestines. Oh my gosh. Yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah. I hurt my hip. They had to bring the ambulance down onto the, I'm, this is like my first week in school. They had to bring the ambulance down to the track. And so I spent, like, the first few weeks in this dumb new school oh with dreams gosh. and aspirations to play with, like, the greatest team, uh, you know. But with hindsight. But you obviously are running fast. Yeah. And with hindsight, though, like, oh, bleachers. Jeez. That's what they bleachers. Yeah. yeah, in yeah hindsight, yeah. it's probably good because, Lord knows, I probably wouldn't have made the team anyway. So, yeah. Like, but, yeah, so that that is how, that's, that defines my sports career. <laughs> So now I'm just a fan. That's crazy. So when you run now, do you look up? No. No? Still no, don't. If you watch me on film, it's like I have a really obvious way. And so my son runs the same way I do. It's like my head is down and I look like I'm. Really? Yeah. Like I'm, I look like I'm pissed off pacing in an airport. I just, I don't know why. <sighs> oh, that's funny. All right. So shout out. Uh, favorite restaurant, favorite nonprofit. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, favorite restaurant. Man, I gotta say, probably Otaku Ramen. Okay. It's a toss-up. You know what? I should, I, I should. Be- 
Teresa at Moss Tacos has been my yeah, it's patron saint of tacos for golly what fifteen years. So I would probably say it's a toss up between Moss Tacos and a Taco Ramen. And, and where are both of those? Moss Tacos is in East Nashville. Okay. She used to be a food truck. She she kind of started the the Nashville food trucks. Oh, cool. And then um, uh, Ataku is is now in the Gulch. And Sarah over there, same thing. She's got a multiple restaurants. Mm. I, I would probably say Moss Tacos might edge out of Taco only because that's a more universal meal. Like you know, you can't just like ramen is like you kind of eat once a week, maybe mm-hmm. twice a week. Mm-hmm. Dude, I, I could eat tacos. My wife's Latina. I could eat tacos. I had tacos last night. Yes, yeah, see, I made tacos. I mean? mm-hmm. Do they make breakfast tacos? Yeah, tacos? yeah. We oh. were actually we were talking to Natalie's like, I wonder who came up with. The taco. I'm like, I don't know. I started to Google it, but I didn't care. Well, my favorite not-for-profit. Yes. Um, boy, that's a toughie. Um, my wife actually works in the not-for-profit sector, mm-hmm. so we are surrounded by not-for-profits. I would say, internationally speaking, there's one called the IJM, which yes. is the International, International Justice Jeff. Mission. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I did some work with them in the Philippines a couple years ago. Um, boots on the ground, really invasive in the community, and just seeing what what they were doing uh it, it took me a year to even process what i saw um because it's dealing it's they're they're meeting uh the issue of human trafficking mm-hmm. Head on. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a three-pronged effort they do i think that was ryan's shout out too really yeah oh yeah i think so i mean aside from his nonprofit, you know well and they're they're good people over mm-hmm. there um but i mean i firsthand was there and witnessed and worked with them and have seen what they're doing and that's that you know. There's obviously other great ones. There's there's relief efforts in Africa with the water famine, and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. So I, I think it just depends on the day. Where's Where's Nadine at right now? So my wife for years worked for the Mental Health Association of Middle Tennessee, which is how we somewhat. Oh yes, met. dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. I actually spaced on that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So she did that for Bob. Well, good thing I didn't lie, huh? Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, she did that for years, and she just recently stopped. She was she was still year or two ago helping them out but um she's on the board of the papa joe's house okay which is a foundation here in tennessee middle tennessee that deals with it's similar kind of a similar paradigm to like the ronald mcdonald house Mm -hmm. where it's a home for people who come to vanderbilt to get the lvad which is the left ventricle assist device uh, which is essentially your iron man it's where your heart no longer works you're on the waiting Mm -hmm. list for a transplant and they hook you up to these redundant lithium batteries and so you don't even have a pulse but it, it, the electrodes keep you keep you alive and uh, Vanderbilt's like one of like 50 some places in the entire country that can do these services there's only been about a 10,000 of these surgeries completed so far okay so she sits on the board dealing with that um, okay and I I felt like saying them to begin with but yeah I, yeah but um yeah and she, she's got a few other uh, she, she's always busy doing yeah the coalition for yeah, we. Uh, I, I saw you many times at the uh, the Ryman. This is right. The concerts. Yeah. You know. My my cold brew hasn't kicked in yet. I, I well, you got to drink more of that. it. Yeah. Golly. Um. All right. So, if today was your last day on this earth, yep. And you had an opportunity to spend some time with three to five people, excluding your immediate family, that have made a huge impact on your life. Who would those people be, and why? Oh man. You went deep. Oh boy! And these are currently living people. No, no. From your, you know, childhood on, you know, to today, just some people that've had a big impact. I would want to meet Bob Goff. Oh yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, because I feel like I'd probably like 
if he's in the room, I'm not dying. Like, I feel like he's got some, like, mystical powers over death. <laughs> now, um, yeah, I would love to have him on a podcast interview at some point. I thought about tra- doing the traveling thing here. Now, with that being said, has he had an impact on your life, and that's why you would want to meet him? Or Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. I came across him. In, oops, in 2000, golly, 13 maybe, okay. 12, 13, and it, it was prior to his TED Talk. He did like a, I want to say a TED Talk. Okay. And it was a video, I was. I remember I was in a hotel in Orlando at the Four Seasons there, and I was working, and on my iPad I was pulling up YouTube videos while I was working, and it came across this, I think I typed in like positive videos or something. Right, right. And it was him like on the here in San Diego or something just talking and I was like it kind of stopped it was me. probably at uh, Disney isn't that where he goes and hangs out maybe not regardless. this one wasn't yeah no okay. this one was on the water okay and he was talking and he started talking about Uganda and, mm-hmm. and and that resonated with and so the more I started to see this guy I was like whoa this is my spirit animal this is this old guy's like we have a lot of like him personality <laughs> yeah. wise and and it really took me it really uh, was like the, it expedited my my uh, justification in being crazy for okay. the right reasons. Mm, mm. Crazy meaning like wild yes, and all yes, out yes. in the left center, left of the center. Yep. And so in, in in tandem with that would be Robin Williams. Robin Williams would be like would be someone else that he had a, a, a great impact on me as well. Just in terms of again like you know embracing your class clownism and and learning how to use that as a tool and, and harness it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think they're probably a lot of like personality-wise difference. You know, Kirk. I read um, Donald Miller. Have you heard yeah, of him? Of so he actually—it's uh, a thousand miles, where he or a million—I forget his book name—but he rode across country on a bike. Yep. And so, on that trip, they stopped somewhere and ended up meeting Bob Golf. So in his book, he talks about Bob Golf. So I always follow Donald Miller, and then eventually Bob Goff writes Love Does, Everybody Always, yeah. you know, yeah, I, same with you. I, I, so, I love, I love so his stuff, his stories. and So good. And I love how he, yeah, just ties in, um, you know, his 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 love of life yep. and then throws in a little Jesus, yep. you know. Um, yeah, he's awesome. I'm Dude, he's awesome. There. And so he was on my radar. I, I watched every daggone piece of content out there, and then when Book Love Does came out, yeah. I read it and I bought a bunch of copies and gave mm-hmm. it to people because mm-hmm. it was like, holy smokes, this is I, I get this guy. This is you know, this is I needed this. Talk about making an impact. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you know, I think him. I think it throughout history though, um, man. I mean, I you know, not to get theological, but you know, I think Apostle Paul. Like, mm-hmm. would be a pretty cool guy. Like, I think anybody willing to die for for their convictions, you know, regardless of what those convictions may be, um, you know, I want to I know what's up with that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. especially when you don't have to. You know, like, when you when you willingly choose, it, right. which, as Americans, we have civil servants that you know, go into battle for us. But I, I just think, you know, following, I think Paul, like, following this wacko guy named Jesus back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like knowing that he did, like, I want to know, like, man, what, like, what's right. that, dude? You know, like, um, yeah, and then, golly, I don't know, man. And how about somebody like you actually had an impact? Like, say, 
you know, we'll dive into your music part, but I know you had a long, <laughs> you're long. Like, let's go back to the question. Uh, well, no, you're 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 answering it. Um, but even like anybody specifically that like like a, your dad or you know a friend or somebody in college or afterwards that like if it wasn't for them, you know, you, you might be yeah living in a van down by the river. You know, there are a few people like that in my life. Um, Man, that's a toughie. Yeah. I uh, I mean, I feel like the obvious answer I have to say would be like my dad or my... Well, technically it's not obvious because, you know, there's a lot of not so good parents. You know what I mean? No, so, yeah. anyways. No, I, yeah. I, my, my dad, like the older I've gotten and the, the now that I'm a father and stuff, I realize like, oh my God. Like, dude, I did not know. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, now I'm going to get emotional. Like, yeah, it's just like, yeah. Like, I think later in life I'm really starting to realize... Mm-hmm. Um, for you know, like you think your parents walk on water, and or at least I did, you know, and like as a dad, like you realize, like, I don't know what I'm doing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, dude, I have no freaking idea what I'm doing, and mm-hmm. I'm an emotional basket case. Like, I'm supposed to raise this kid, right? I'm, and I actually, th- I was praying we'd have a girl because it's like that I got, but like a man, I boy, I gotta teach you how to be a man. Like, I don't know how to be a man, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, yeah, no, my, I mean, my dad, like really impressive like his his ability to stay the course you know ironically i started it off by talking about the divorce but like yeah no i mean he you know he's he's just good people man yeah like and his work ethic you know uh he he taught me the value of people you Mm -hmm. know like over over commerce and over product Mm -hmm. you know i mean my dad walks around in our hometown of lee summit when they when he moved there there were eight thousand people and there's over 120,000 in Lee Summit now. It's a big metropolitan area. There's mm-hmm. like five high schools or something. But he walks around, and I can say my last name, mm. and especially the older generation all know who Oglesby is because of my dad mm. and my uncles and my grandpa. Um, and I just saw how he conducted business. I remember my brother and I asking him, like, why aren't you selling the company? You know, why aren't you doing this right. and that and this? And because he never, like, business was not, business to him wasn't mm-hmm. the, the priority. Right. It was like, how can I give my community a better experience in their kitchen, you know, in their bath. And if that means I lose money doing it, I right. don't care. Right. Like, Cause every time they walk into their bathroom, they're thinking of me like, the, like, whoa, mind blowing, you know, like never even thought like that. Mm-hmm. You know, meanwhile, we had linoleum and garbage, you know, like for Micah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he might've been a little too tight yeah. on the money. Right. Yeah. That's funny. He's living his best life now. Right. So. <laughs> right. All right. So now uh, let's talk music. Uh, what pulled you in that direction? A lot of questions here. Yeah. What have you done? Who have you managed? Uh, what have you loved or disliked about it? And what are some great stories that you often share? So, a perfect segue from the last question because one of the, the one other person I, I would have said would have been Eddie Vedder. I I've had many opportunities to meet him. I work with you know many colleagues, um, and I've chosen not to because I met Michael Jordan and that did not go well. Oh really? Yeah, and so. I know it. I know from everyone I've talked to that works with Eddie that he's salty with a great guy. I know this, but I also know 100% what it's like to work with people in that position. And I don't ever want Eddie Vedder to be upset with me because his salmon's cold, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And so I've just chosen to never even meet him because, like, to me, he's on a pedestal because in sixth grade is when 10 came out and that album changed my life. It, I immediately went and bought Doc Martens and flannels and tore my, my jeans up. Mm-hmm. And so Pearl Jam for me, def- like, was my teenage music and 
it still is today. And in my adolescence, in my long, late teens, early twenties, that is when I started to, with the MTV culture and Rolling Stone, started to see like, wait, this is attainable. Like mm-hmm. these people aren't otherworldly and gods; they're actually humans like me. Right, right. And I think I could get into this business. And so I was working in the buckle in Johnson City, met this guy who's a guitar player who came to, I think he worked for me, um, and said, I'm moving to Nashville to try to pursue music. Do you want to go? And I, what am I, 21 at the time? Mm-hmm. Um, and said, yeah, let's do it. So I quit my job, which, you know, for the buckle, they were not happy about that because they just invested all this resources into me. I moved to Nashville and um, we get an apartment and I moved in February and that's when CRS is country radio seminar okay uh, in country and so we were like we gotta go so we went down to this thing at the Renaissance I believe and met this this band called at the time they're called the Clark family experience and they were a bluegrass group of six brothers raging in age from like 15 to 24 maybe and here I am 21 hair down to like my shoulders mm-hmm. and um, met them and we ended up hanging out all night in their suite till like four in the morning watching we watched Zoolander mm-hmm. and ordered a bunch of room service on Curb Records bill and they're like dude you should be our road manager I'm like what's that I'm like well you you know you you're like our our babysitter and you tell us where to go and what to do and everything and so I didn't have this is 2001 February 2001 I didn't have a cell phone so you again so you left Johnson City just to go hey let's go mm-hmm. pursue something in mm-hmm. music mm-hmm. nothing no idea no connections just let's go do it cashed out my 401k yep I had a Ford Explorer that I sold so I drove Drew my roommate's Volvo for a while um, and I mean it was literally golly it was weeks days that I had been here that I met these guys Okay. So it was like, how'd you meet him? Uh, I was at the, that, the CRS. So like, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're and always, sleep. You're, <laughs> you're, uh, I'm, I'm like half listening, but I'm distracted. And then I'm like, hold on. He said something. I didn't catch that. What did you say? Can you repeat yourself? <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm at, okay. Okay. Yeah, so. I'm, at, I'm at the Renaissance. <laughs> And just in case people were listening yeah. to this episode and they didn't catch that, <laughs> yeah, I wanted you to repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> I tell great stories. <laughs> yeah, so they called their manager. Okay. I remember I, I had to go to a Burger King payphone because I mm-hmm. didn't have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Called their manager who lives in Beverly Hills. And he was a like he was a legitimate manager. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, Well fly to LA. So I, you know, first time I fly to California, it picks me son picks me up in a Porsche, takes me to their mansion, you know, and I'm just completely the gobstopped at how cool this is and it's the opposite effect for him did you have to sell yourself to this this no no they just because liked they you. said we want him to be our road manager no i know but did you the people that the uh, what was the group again the kingdom the clark family the clark experience. family yeah. experience did they they just liked you enough to be like dude he would be cool to hang around 100 percent. i didn't know what road there was meant i mean you did manage at buckle yes so there had to be some element that they saw that you yeah but could, i was 21 with yeah. long hair like this is dumb like nobody I, I i would never do this like it's i mean their manager managed M- michael jackson and shaka khan and kenny Loggins. i mean like big time manager yeah okay. um and so he's like the second he lays eyes on me it's like oh my gosh you know like get out of here and i mean he told me he's like i i just let you know i have zero faith in you like mm. but the band says i gotta hire you so um and it was literally like Dumb and Dumber. I mean, the first time I sent in my accounting, it was like a box of like handwritten, you know, bar 
receipts and stuff and he's like this is not gonna work dude um so yeah man off so i flew back to nashville and off we went like you know I, did so, you take some classes or anything no, the learn you just no dude you we, just learn on the fly it was six kids and me like seven of us idiots i mean you, so define if you had to define you know what a road manager yeah so you would title it yeah what would you say you what all does that entail so there's there and so yeah there's there's a couple different phrases or terms or positions in the industry so that you've got like on a level of like van tours one or two bus tours you you would call it a road manager okay which i remember back at the time i was always going to be called a tour manager because mm. tour just insinuates bigger right but especially in country at, at you know 20 years ago you're not you're not leaving like you're not really doing quote unquote touring of mm -hmm. the, of a great magnitude so road manager you know you're booking all the travel all the logistics the accounting the hiring the firing the negotiating of, of the deals with the vendors uh you know the the, the ride you're building the riders you you know catering i mean you, it's you're planning a trip and you're somebody you're, you're the dad <laughs> you know somebody's got to be the guy, the, right. the responsible adult in the room, which is the irony of being 21. <coughs> you know? Right. Like, I didn't know what I was doing at all. Um, but I'm, I'm a stu I'm very stiff. We talked about how bad I was in school, but I am a, I am very studious when it's something I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I made, I tried to, anytime I was on a, we were supporting an act or on a festival, I would immediately go seek out the headliners tour manager, just introduce myself to get to know them. And to nine out of 10 of them would like, please leave me alone. And now that I'm that tour manager, I also understand what that's like as mm -hmm. a kid. I'd love to help you, but I am busy. Right. Um, you know, but there were a few tour managers that really like gave me at the time of day and, and, or and a few booking agents uh, and, and people in the career that were like, you know what? I, I see something in this kid. I'm, I'm going to invest in him. Um, and th I'm so thankful they did because mm -hmm. I certainly wouldn't be here today. Yeah. Um, but no, no schooling. And, I definitely paid my dues. I drove the van. I slept under the seats. You know, ate talk, survived on Del Taco and Taco Bell. You know, many a night. Um, but at the same time, like I didn't have to. I didn't. I didn't do the Berkeley or the Belmont path or the full sail mm -hmm. path. It was the opposite. I mean, it was complete dumb luck. Um, you know, I don't believe in luck. I certainly. I was about believe, to say, yeah, probably yeah. some God's grace in there. I, I certainly you know. do believe that. Yeah. Um, but on paper and from outside looking in, it's like you know, get real. You know, this kid moves here. <laughs> Are there actually degrees now to focus on oh, yeah. tour management? Yeah, okay. and I, you know, <clears throat> yes, um, and there are guys like Chris Lyle who does the touring workshop, and there, there, there are, and Henry Bordeaux who's tour management one hundred and one. There are guys out there that are are really taking it to the next level. And touring two thousand twenty one is completely different than it was mm -hmm. in two thousand twenty or mm -hmm. two thousand. You know, right, right. Um, I mean, I'd have to pull the bus over. We used almanacs, you know. We used atlases, or not? Right, right, atlases. right, right, right. And yeah. I have to pull over to a payphone to, to call the promoter because I'm lost in a cornfield. You know, <laughs> we didn't have cell phones, so I am old enough that like I did have yeah. printed out map quests, and you know. That, so, that so it's funny. Thing. I had just uh, a friend who's doing a big road trip. He's going to. They're driving from Florida to Bend, Oregon, and then okay, yeah, back. That's a good. Haul. So I I sold commercial trucks for a guy in real estate, and the last three. GMC medium duty trucks I sold. I had to. I flew to Portland and drove to Bend and drove them back to Nashville. Oh wow! And um, like wow. shortly after that, I did three weekends in a row from Bend to Nashville. Jeez, it was awesome. And actually, do you know John Eichert, Barefoot John? Yeah, 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 yeah. He lives right by me. Yeah, yeah. Crazy John. Yeah. Um, so he was actually my neighbor when I lived in Hermitage, 
And he actually, him and I actually flew on one of the trips to Portland, drove the bend. We both drove a truck and we stayed outside of Salt Lake City with his parents, got a good sleep. If you know his energy, because of him, we drove 26 hours straight to Nashville. <laughs> of course, yeah. And it was like, I'm like, Ooh. dude, uh, I can't make this. We, and we had walkie-talkies because we didn't, we didn't, did we have, yeah, we had walkie-talkies because we weren't talking on our phones, probably because the data wasn't free or something. But we would get into some deep philosophical conversation or something. It was just amazing. The brain would keep going. Um, but, yeah, so we, we drove. He was actually playing cards, uh, poker the other night. Um, That's awesome. Touch. Yeah, I see him in the neighborhood all the time. But, uh, so, yeah, so I looked back, and I was I was mentioning that, and I was like, yeah, I had no – I had a smart – I had a BlackBerry before, and I got rid of it. So I had no smartphone. I had no GPS. I'm printing MapQuest out, that whole driving – and it was shortly after that I stopped selling medium-duty trucks because they ran out, and I was selling Volvo semis. And then I got a GPS, and I was like, oh, my gosh. It would have been so much nicer to have all this technology in that drive because I'm, like, trying to find – I'm I'm using Gas Buddy to find oh, the best, yeah. you know, fuel prices. And, yeah, it was crazy. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, total side note. No, it's all good. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so you're, you're – that, so that, the the – tour manager entails a lot of a lot of logistics yes yeah, so, and, and relationship building and yeah and so now like you know in my career you know there's there's a tour you so you've got road manager tour manager and then tour coordinator and even tour accountant um mm-hmm. and so you know on a tour like i'm on now we have a road manager so the road manager handles like a sous chef mm-hmm. you know they handle all the nitty-gritty for um so that i can be freed up to do you know be wherever i need to be but uh, kind of your shadow, your right hand. Um, and then a tour coordinator even would be above a tour manager with a tour coordinator, you know, just that. They coordinate the whole can of beans with the production manager, with the tour manager, hmm. um, you know, so. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah, man. I mean, there are definitely worse ways to make a living. So you left um, them and eventually went to, what was your next step? So, One Republic? Yes. Yeah, so, well, so in, yes, yeah, so in 01, I started with the Clarks and then, and so their cousin, as fate would have it again, is Ryan Tedder, the singer of One Republic. That's right. I remember your whole roommate story yeah. now. So yeah. they lived with me. And then um, I, CAA, Creative Artist, the, their booking agent, called me and said, hey, uh, there's a new band coming up called Emerson Drive. So tell that story real quick. I Wh- know you posted one? about how you were living and then he, didn't he come live with you? Yeah, so I, was, I had this house in Creve Hall. Uh, I'm 22 at the time, 23 maybe and big nice house way outside like no reason we should have been in there and my brother and like five different roommates were living in. i had bunk beds in the master bedroom i was charging each guy you know so i didn't pay to live in this beautiful mm. house and the clarks moved in and in addition to all the people in there and then they said hey can our cousin move in i was like ah, there's already 12 whatever and it's ryan and um he moves in and so he i remember he plays apologize like in our living room and you know when you're all young 20s and you hear this pretty heavy song it's like wow this dude's got something and so he would tell us about you know i was i'm in the studio with timbaland or with missy elliott and all this stuff and it was pretty cool um and so i remember i had his car towed because he left it in the street for like six months Mm. because he he went out to do some of nsync or something and we would stay in touch or whatever but um he moved on i think to la or new york at the time and so I then got a phone call from their booking a- from the Clark's booking agent for this band called Emerson Drive, mm-hmm. and they had they they had a big hit in 02. And so I went out with them, and that was exciting because that was like for me the next next tier. 
and they went on to 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 do the up tour with Shania Twain. So now here it is, 2003-4. I'm you know on at that time the biggest tour, one of the biggest tours in the world with mm-hmm. Chris Littleton, who's like a mm-hmm. legend tour manager. Um, and I got to see and Mutt Lang was out every day. I got to sit with him in catering and and just soak up all this knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I, some of those relationships I made then, I still am friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, and got, I got to see like, oh wow, this is like what we're doing is touring, but that's touring, right? Because you know? they're leaving America and they're they're you know going to to other places. And there's millions of dollars in the seats every night. And so um, that's when I really got the itch for like, this could be a like this could be a, 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 a career. Mm-hmm. You know? Like I'm having fun, but like right. this is wow, you can have a nice life doing this. And so, yeah, so I, I, I just stuck with Emerson Drive and then actually became their, their day-to-day manager. So I left the tour and, and, and started working out of the office in Nashville uh, as their manager. But And then very, that same year, that was 07, Ryan, call, Ryan Tedder calls and says, hey, you know, we've apologized. We're going to release it to radio. We need a tour manager. Do you want to be our tour manager? And at the time, that would have been a real regression in my career because I'm now man Emerson drive was Grammy nominated. They've got a number one on the charts currently and I'm making good money Did not have to leave my, my wife, but I talked to my wife about it and we're like, yeah, let's try it. And thank God for Ryan because it changed my life, you know, and I uh, went out with them. And then through that, uh, was able to, you know, to, to during their dark Ryan, you're not, no one's going to, my dad's the hardest working man on the planet, but Ryan definitely will work. That he is a blue collar, a hard worker, and you're not going to work harder than him. So, mm-hmm. because of that, it's great because he'll go do 18 different projects, and then I'm free to go do projects. He's not, instead of him being selfish, like right, I, I want you only to me. It's the opposite. He didn't care as long as you're there when he needs you. He didn't care. Mm-hmm. So I would go. Do, I did Good Charlotte and Some 41, and then Billy Currington and Jennifer Nettles and a couple, you know, a couple rap artists, um, and then Pink, yeah, uh, Miguel. Um, and then one Republic, of course, and now, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm getting, I'm kind of fast forwarding. I don't know how, how far. No, you're, you're no, you're good. So I mean, it was all music. And yeah. actually, speaking of Pink, that she's one I would love to go see in concert. Like, it's I didn't, I didn't listen. I listened to her off and on because obviously she was on the, you know, just the mainstream music. But then it was a couple songs she sung. One she sung in particular, and I remember going, "Wow, she has got a voice." Oh, dude. Like I just was it that never, Janis Joplin cover. I don't know. I can't remember which one it was, but I just go, man, she's got a beautiful voice. And ever since then, because, you know, again, you appreciate the music, but then when I hear that, I'm like, I would love, she would be a cool one to go see in concert. Dude, she's the real deal. <clears throat> I mean, and she does, like, you know, it's a trapeze thing that she's doing. I mean, like, she could legitimately die d- doing her set, and she's an athlete, and she is so formulated in mm-hmm. how she does everything. I mean, her our schedule was down to, I'm not exaggerating, down to the Mm. Um, because you know she's a mom, she's a wife, she's right. a business leader, she's an athlete. Um, I, she, I, I, God bless her. Like I, I don't know how she does what she does. It's it's very impressive, crazy. And, and yeah, and her manager, Roger Davies, is, from my experience, the I, the, best, <coughs> the best manager on planet Earth. Mm. I mean, he's they're they're just a perfect. It's Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, mm. all over again. Mm. They're the perfect combo. Yeah, yeah. So then you do One Republic. Enjoy that. Any f- crazy stories within the? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. So I started with One Republic in two thousand seven, um, and same. It was very similar to the Clark and the Emerson Drive energy because it's the five, at that time five band guys and myself. That's it, and off we go. And Apologize turns into this massive hit, and so 
I mean, literally overnight, we are in, you name it, country X mm-hmm. Monday and next country, next continent Tuesday. And, you know, here, fast forward, I've been to 80 something countries now, but at the time, I mean, you know, we're all idiots. Like, I mean, and some of the guys, I don't think Brent was even, tw- I want to say he wasn't even 21. Like they were kids. We were all kids and traveling, you know, just seeing every, and even at back in the day, I mean, Ryan was even, we were flying Southwest and Ryan was flying economy you know we were all flying economy i remember flying to new zealand for the first time from americas and we were so excited because each guy was able to get like a whole row mm. like back in economy you know and we didn't care like now you're not gonna get I, I there's no money on earth that's i'm gonna fly economy to new zealand and but back then like dude we were just excited to go to new zealand you know right, right. um and so seeing seeing all of the world the way we got to see it was, yeah that's cool it was super cool man um you know i i didn't have gratitude for it until Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, it's true. They say, "What you know, you don't know what you have to." It's gone, and when COVID shut everything down, I definitely realized, like, "Oh wow, what a life!" Mm-hmm. In, in 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 one manner of like uh, uh, romantic romanticizing it, like, "Oh, what a life! I'd love to do that again." But also, "Oh, what a life! I don't want like that's I, I'm cool. Like right, I've already right. I've already ticked the boxes. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, um, yeah. So it's just it's a young like that 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 aggressive blitzkrieg of touring is a young man's game mm-hmm. or an addict's game or an old man's game like to be able to tour at that pace is is you know and, and to have a successful healthy marriage mm-hmm. and kids at home you know far, that's an anomaly mm-hmm. like far and few in between you, you're gonna find you know and, and you might be more of a local manager if you're managing yes. right yeah. yeah, and so that that is where I'm at in my career okay. now. Is, so yeah, so you know I had committed. So so, do you want me to talk about COVID? Because that's a whole. Moment. Yes, that, that's a, well. So you got music, and then I got uh, the next question is what did the year of COVID look like uh, for you, and how did you pivot and find positives in life? So now <laughs> I, I've as of about six five weeks ago, I've left One Republic um after 14 and a half years and i'm now in country music back in country with a kid named kane brown and i'm like i i've won the lottery i mean it's came unexpectedly i was already committed to one republic we were already gigging we already fired the machine back up and i got this phone call out of the blue and respectively you know told the manager like i eh, not you know i don't think so but thank you and then you know thankfully she was she really was sincere and we had good meetings and, and good interviews and you know here I am now I'm Cambridge tour manager so um I'm so thankful and happy um he you know I'm wearing a hat that's his family on it because that's what he gave me when, when they hired me and it's true like you know they say that your touring family is like a family and mm-hmm. I will say my experience through COVID taught me it's not it's not a family um it is a business mm-hmm. and you are a number and you are replaceable and mm-hmm. that's just a fact and and you know we have a few sayings in the business and one of them is like you know it's we're all replaceable unless you're bono everyone in u2 is replaceable even the edge you've got mm-hmm. you know, all respect to the edge like look how many bands have you know parted ways with a member of the band and they've gone on to be just fine so mm-hmm. how dare i think i'm not replaceable <clears throat> so when i you know when i was taken off salary and then lost my health insurance and all that during covid i realized oh this is sobering i am not as valued as I thought I was, mm-hmm. and 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 there's no shame in, in how they handled it. It's just that's what they had to do, and it, it it slapped me in the face. And so, um, so that allowed me to 
have a clear head and a foundation to make the decision of, you know what, I think it's time to, I, I don't want to insult country by saying slow down, but it's time for me to, to stop the, the 75 country touring mm-hmm. gaunt and think about with intention what we're doing as a family. You know, right. My wife's been with me 20 years and, and up and down through it all, but this one with a kid and everything, and I just see the effect it had. He, he told me something during COVID. We were praying one night before bed, and he, I, I said, let's thank God for Papa's new job. And he got really sad. And I said, what's wrong, bud? And he looked at me, and he said, he, like he said, you got a new job? And I was like, yeah. And he said, is it music? And I said, no, I'm, I'm selling water. You know that. And I said, why? And he said, because when you do music, you leave. Mm. You know, and he's four years old. And I was like, oh, my. I'm, I, I had to put him in his bed and go straight to the living room. I my wife like, okay, he just shot me in the heart. <clears throat> right. So I, but I had to recommit to One Republic because I need, you know, I lost a year of income. Mm-hmm. So I, we needed the the work, and it, it's not. It didn't. Even, it didn't matter at that point when I committed if it made sense or not for our family. It was like we've got it. We got to stop the bleeding here. Right. Right. Um, so I'm very <clears throat> thankful that the phone call from Kane came out of the blue because it, it's changed. It's put me on a wonderful trajectory for the you know. And so what are you doing for them? Are you so I'm Kane's man- tour manager? Okay. Now and which is great because he's now in his career. He's, he has he had just started his fir- very first I believe very first like official headline arena tour prior to COVID. He only got five shows out the gate and then it all shut down. Mm. And so, um, you know they they're firing it back up and they're they're looking to take his career kind of to the next level. And because I've seen I've seen those waters and I've navigated those waters, it's a great it's a great fit. They're, right. You know, I, I'm I'm they're giving me the the leash to to go in and do what what I love what I'm naturally gifted at what i love to do and passionate about and in turn i'm able to help see this kid fulfill his wildest dreams mm-hmm. and and the team and you know and just be part of a team that um now will you travel yeah or, okay. yeah but you know look we've done two shows in a month yeah and i've left on a wednesday and i'm back on friday like and you know and that's the quality of life is mm-hmm. and people say that in, in, our, in our business is you know the country world gives you a better quality of life. okay and that's okay. when we looked at like okay look we're we're it's all about efficiency mm-hmm. and we're spending this much energy and th- this much time and this many resources for me to leave for seven months, you know, versus <laughs> this is a fraction and the pay is like commensurate. I mean, it's not like, it's not like millions of dollars we're talking about. It's, mm-hmm. it's enough money. The difference in the money is like, okay, we'll, we'll just skip a nice meal once in a while. Like right. this is fine. Right. Um, right. So I'm so thankful because it's, really showed me like you mean family is more important than money uh, well yeah, yeah actions speak louder than words don't they yeah. i've always said that but my actions probably showed differently so yes now it's you know i'm not i'm done chasing the money i'm done chasing the resume i'm done chasing the life experience it's That's such a selfish existence. I, would, I would almost say that a lot of that it's probably especially being a seven too is the, ex- the experience you know 100 percent, dude like just even when i drove trucks like many people can't even stand driving i'm like oh i love the experience of cruising cross country you know hitting some states and eventually it'll be stopping in them you know going forward but um all right so cool anything else in music i think we hit it all i mean no you know i think we hit all. i i would not i i would not desire my son to do this for a living i would not desire anyone to do this for a living um i because it's it's not easy uh, it is a not. It's not an easy industry, and it is the music business. But why do you think people say that? Because if you're you're doing it, you've done it. You love 
many aspects about it. So why would you not, why would you try to talk somebody out of it? Like, you know what I mean? Because, like, I even think about that in real estate. It's like, I mean, there's aspects that it's, I don't like everything about it. But it also gives, if you, it depends if you're going to focus on the positives or negatives about it. Because there's a lot of positives in real estate. But there's some negatives, too. Yeah. You know, so, like, I don't know. I'm just curious. Do, do you really feel that way? or I do. I do. I Now, I mean, look, I the whole reason I am excited to take the this Kane Brown job is because I... I'm now 42 years old and I'm a father. I'm looking to so invest myself into the next generation of citizens. I don't care what they're doing for a living. It's these are humans and I'm looking to help educate them and help make their lives better and help them make decisions to put them on a path of success. And, you know, for example, last week we we're in the tour bus driving down I-70 and we passed that the, the St. Louis Arch and mm-hmm. one of the teammates, one of the crew, I'd never seen the arch. Oh, that's for cool. Me, it's like, yeah. What? And so, but that's that to me is exciting. All that to say, yeah. I'm doing that with them and not my family. Right. So, right. 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 So there are sa- there are great sacrifices, and this the entertainment business. It is true what they say about Hollywood. It is true. It is. It's not built on honesty. It's not built on morality. Mm-hmm. It's not built ethically. It is a m- machine mm-hmm. that is a meat grinding machine that will work with or without you, and the gears will keep turning no one is going to stand in the way of that machine and that business. Mm-hmm. And that's that's true with any business. Right, that's what it's about to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, and that's okay. But there are there's a great toll mm-hmm. uh, to be paid for this industry. And um, I, I know, I, you know, again, I'm only going on my experiences, but um, I would just, you know, if it, was, if it was my desire, you know, look, if my son came to me and said, I want to be a ballerina, let's go be a ballerina. If he says I want to be a tour manager, let's go be a tour manager. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I just, I just know that this is not an easy it's mm-hmm. not an easy industry man like it's not and right. um you know when, especially if you're if you've got any sort of nativity you know if you're na- naive or if you're innocent or sincere or honest there are enough wolves out there that that will take that from you mm-hmm. and they will use it to their own advantage and again that's just living in the world itself i know right that. right right but it's even more magnified in the right. entertainment business Different it, it is it is and i you know uh, any somebody can say otherwise whatever but I, I believe that, yeah, it's the, the powers that be that are running it are doing so because it's, this is a business. Right. And it took a long time for me to, to, to have that moment of taking the rose-colored glasses off and seeing, oh, this isn't really about the music. Right. This is about the shareholders who own and parts of the company. And-, and the great thing is, I would say with any industry, there is that. Then there are... There are positive aspects that yes. aren't always all about that, you know. What Correct, I mean? and I don't want to paint this yes. doom and gloom, yep. pessimistic yep. angle, but you know, and so I'm doing my part to make a bright yep. Yep. light. Again, all that to say, I missed so many weddings, so many funerals, so many events. Mm. You know, and, and for what, right? Like right. For what? So um, I'm thankful. I'm being. Right. I'm, I'm humbled. I'm grateful. Uh, but I also understand, like, man, I don't know if I do that again. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah, it's interesting because it's like, all right, if you could do it again, what would you do different, and how can you, you know, instead of the musician having the need to be this busy, it's like, like, why don't you scale it back? Because if it's not all about this money, why not find more of a life balance, family balance in there? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that well, would probably be the better part of it, right? And. That is where that is right, where I find myself doing. now. Cool. I mean, that's good. It's amazing. All right, right. so running, why? Um, 
So running is my, it's it's my sanctuary. Um, it, we as creatures were designed to run fight or flight. We go find food or we try to not become mm-hmm. the food. Um, and I've always been active. I, I'm very I'm a lot heavier in my older age, but um, I've always been active. I've always with running. I've I've danced with it. I've gone through seasons of running a lot. Not but in the last decade, I've really it's become it's overtaken my life mm-hmm. for sure. Um, it is it's a non-negotiable for me. The other day we were was on tour. We stopped in Moline, Illinois for one hour. Sorry, one hour. So the drivers could have a break and that everybody could get lunch. Mm-hmm. I got out and threw my running clothes on and I ran <laughs> during the lunch break. Went back in the bus and showered. I have to do that. It's it's not a, you know that that is a priority to me. I will make sacrifices. I will. I've done it on layovers all around the world. I, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not doing it for anybody's. I post on social media because I love watching myself. But I I don't do this for anybody's chagrin. It's strictly because I have to do this. It's my meditation. It's what makes me whole. You know, um, I did an event last week, which was a, a last man standing race. Uh, the guy who won it ran 38 hours. Crazy. No sleep. Um, you you have to make the, the the one mile rotation up and down a mountain uh, every twenty minutes, which is a caveat, and that's the kicker. Um, and so, I love I love just finding myself and finding my boundaries. And I, I, can't, I there's no way on earth I would be here today, uh, who I am if I was not for running. There mm. are so many epiphanies I've had while running. There are so many you know, there's so many times where I mean I, I got attacked by a dog last year, and I swear to God I thought I was going to die. Mm. Um, and so I'm still very terrified of dogs because of that. But wow. that, that again is an experience though, that like, I, I try to find a parallel in life every time, every run I go to, I try to, I, I try to leave it with a, oh wow. And mm-hmm. to me, it, it, so it's a deep thinking process while you're running. Super. Kind of like when I've taken a shower, I'm like, oh crap, yes. that one is long shower. I got some more ideas. Yes. yes. And, and man, last night we had, we hosted a family and their three daughters at our house. So I met on it. It's race. They're from Canada. And next thing you know, they're camping out behind our, you know, not far mm-hmm. from our house, and they're over at our house having dinner. Like the community, the running community is a very supportive one. It's very optimistic. It's very welcoming and encouraging. Um, you know, and then also, man, it goes back to gratitude. Like I've got a few friends. Uh, one was shot and she's paralyzed. Uh, one has lost all four limbs due to strep, an undiagnosed strep throat. And wow, yeah, and one, uh, Jeez. yeah, one. Uh, lost his legs in 2006 he's a marine and lost his legs uh jumping on a grenade to save his comrades mm. so i have friends that physically cannot run and yet they do and mm-hmm. so when people say i can't run i used to say yeah you can i've stopped saying that like okay you can't like that I, there's six billion people on earth that's fine i'm not here to convince you you can mm-hmm. run. i will go find someone who wants to run and um you know it, it, just seeing the community of of overcomers you know uh that's that's I identify myself as that, you know. Do you like running cross country, off country, dirt, gravel, so all? Forever, it's been the street. I love okay. I love the street. I'm a city guy. I love the street. Now, just since COVID, my brother in law, who's one of my running partners, has been like begging me to get out on the trails and run with him. Mm-hmm. And man, the very first time I did at Percy Warner, it was like a needle to the vein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I mean. Wow, because I love to snow ski. I love to snow mm, ski. And yeah, running too. in the woods to me is like snow skiing because you're really snow skiing is all about, I hope I don't die. Like, and that's kind of what it's like running in some of these trails. Like you're going balls to the wall down the hill. Now, but when you're, so if you run this trail, you're still looking straight down. You're not somewhat ahead to see roots and stuff like that? So, well, yeah, both, yeah. So okay. well, yeah, specifically this, yeah, you exactly. You've got roots and loose rocks. and Okay. I mean, 
It's gone now, but golly, I tripped last week. I mean, head, face first. Ooh. And oh yeah, I got really good, nice, some nice red badges of courage. But like, I get up and it's like, let's do this. Like, I love the physical. It's a sad, sadism. I love the physical pain, you know, because I feel like I don't deserve to be happy. And this yeah. is like. Well, it's funny. We uh, I have several years, about five or six years ago, we uh, did a mission trip in Nicaragua, and we went up this big mountain. There's this cross or something up top, you know. And it had steps all the way up it, which it took 45 minutes to go up it, walking at pretty steady wow. pace. Um, so that, of course, wore your legs. Well, on the way back, me and four or five, about three guys. And actually, you know the name Stephen Day? Does that himself from here? He's a, he's a musician. Um, but anyway, so we run down it and didn't take the steps and did off. We got down in like 10 minutes. Oh wow! And man, it was so fun because again, you, yeah, I, like I love skiing too. And um, when I that, that was so we that was the last day. Get home, and the next day I literally could not walk. I mean, I'm going up the steps backwards, my thigh like it was brutal. So, would you say is there a um, you know is because is running hard on your knees and legs, or is there a negative so, aspect about it? That's or? a misnomer. Okay. Like, you know, I weigh 200 pounds. So, okay. You know, my tank butt coming down those those trails, it's a lot of gunk, gunk, right. gunk. My knees are fine, dude. Okay. I'm, a, I'm the grandson of two of a tile setter and the son of a tile setter who both had cartilage replacements in their knees. My knees, when I get up, sounds like you're tearing paper. I have terrible. I played basketball my whole life. Mm. I have terrible knees. They're fine because it's all about your technique. Okay, so I was about to ask. Yeah, it yeah. took me year. Now, look, I'm not saying like it's great on your knees, but again, that and that's also a benefit to transitioning from the road. Because yes, the road is not ideal, but man, shoes have come such a far way mm-hmm. now. You know the carbon fiber plates in them. Um, so it took me. It took me quite a few. I ran. I read that book, Born to Run, uh, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, which is the barefoot running phase, and I went through that. But okay, that helped. Great. Uh, that was probably the most fundamental change in my running mm. was my how I, my gait and and learning how to properly run. Changed okay. Everything. Okay. Like, dude, I mean, I'm 42. I don't stretch nearly like I should. Right. I don't pre or post nearly like I should, and I can go run 20 miles a drop of a hat, and I'm fine. What's your pace? Well, that's it, all. Re- I mean, it all depends. Like, I'm not fast. I mean, you know, my my fastest marathon was a three. 38, I believe. But so, like, running 28 miles, like, 20 miles. Yeah. Like, if you could just pick up and go, like, are you at, what is your average pace? Like, I mean, it literally, it just depends. And that's that's what I love about running. Okay. Like, so, eight and a half minute, probably, mile. Okay. But, again, Yeah, that's nine still. Minutes. Like, but, like, anything, dude, you th- that's what I love about running, is, like, you can underestimate it big time. You could be like, I'm going to go out and have a great three-mile run, and it could be the right. absolute worst three miles of your life. And you're so angry, because you're like, what in the world? Like, why is this hard today? You know, and then maybe you didn't eat well the day before. All of it, right? I read. I just. I, I haven't finished the book, but um, book called "The Energy Paradox." Okay, have you heard it? It's, no. It's it's pretty enlightening. All talking about everything that you put in and how it works in the stomach and the gut and the gut health and how it does connect with the brain. And I mean, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty eye opening because I'm like, all right, if I really do want to make some healthier eating habits, like I want to understand why. Yeah. You know. Um, so I'm still in the educational phase, yeah. <laughs> and that, then you got to go. All right, so what are you going to cut out? Like I'm never going to be a hardcore, but there's times where I'm like, yeah. Or even like I read how it's like they're like, yeah, don't 
you shouldn't you shouldn't eat a good meal before you run because you're you're draining energy to digest that anyways um okay cool so a good outlet and key is to do a little research to learn how to run yeah so it's not on your bat on your knees and i would i mean you probably make that advice for anything but i and i would like to add yes so i'm six and a half years sober yeah, when that was another question oh, sorry. too. Okay. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, so, yeah, you, so you mentioned in your bio six and a half years sober. So look, let's discuss. Yeah, so I, you know, um, my personality trait is extreme, um, and I would probably say that I have an addictive. Oh no, I, I certainly have an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I look back. My granny was an alcoholic. She was, and uh, I think that I probably inherited some of those genes. Um, and I didn't drink all through high school. I was super healthy and weighed a buck thirty at graduation. You know, buying one twenty eight is what I weighed when I was eighteen years old. Um, and once I entered into the music business, I didn't drink. And then in my mid twenties, I started drinking and started drinking a lot. Mm. And really started to, again like anything else. I started to pride myself on I can go harder in the paint than you. Like I can out drink you. And and it started to become just just everyday routine i would you know with every meal and and then i before you know it fast forward here i am 2014 and i i I distinctly know the day i was at home i just got off the road and i have a i have a really nice bar in my stock bar in my house and i i got up at like 9 30 from my desk to go get a whiskey to go sit on my back deck and work pour this whiskey and I go sit down and I get a cigar and I go and I I'm smoking a cigar drinking sounds whiskey. enjoyable yeah it's 9 30 in the morning <laughs> like what in the world so I drank the whiskey and I got up to go get another one and that whiskey had ran out and I look and I mean I probably have 50 different bottles and I'm like what in the world are you I remember saying oh what are you doing like mm. what are you doing like this is Dude, get a hold of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I weighed about two fourteen then. Okay, and just gross. And one Republic used to joke we would tease because we would call it breakfast curry or a breakfast whopper because my routine was I would just I was never obnoxious. It was right, always right. Just, I was always just they no one really even knew I was just nice and drunk. Mm-hmm. And I would have a four thirty a.m. Uh, whopper at whatever Burger King we could find, and then I'd have like coconut curry at like 11 a.m. You know, and so it was like the most unhealthy, gross diet combined with this lifestyle. And I, I, I told myself, okay, like, you got to make a change. This was in the spring, and so One Republic went back out on a world tour, and man, I gave it hell. I drank and drank and drank and drank. This is, and this was after you said you got to make a change. Yep. Yeah. Because so, I knew, like, this is the only way I'm going to do this. It's like, mm. I got to do it all. And we were having a, a end of tour party at the in Barcelona, so we had a close to a hundred or give or take people our person tour there. And we're at the top of the W Hotel in Barcelona on the beach. And I got there at four p.m. and I gave the the bar manager the credit card and said, "I need you to go ahead and just process this for whatever it is because when I'm like, I'm not going to be able to walk out of here when we're done." And he was like, "No, no, I'll need you to sign for it." I was like, "No, you don't understand. Like, I'm, you're going to have to carry me out here on the stretcher." Like I will not be, I will not be functioning when we're done. And so, dude, by six p.m., I'd already. So you have departments on. You got audio and video and lighting, right? You know, rigging. And so 
I had done shots with each department. You know, as a tour manager, I was like, hey, let's do shots. And I remember my pride, my a badge of pride was I made Frank the Tank. It was his nickname. Huge guy. Played, he had played ball for the Raiders. And he, this guy could drink a half of Jameson, I mean, in a swig. And he projectile vomited on the bar at like 6 o'clock at night. So I knew like, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're just getting good. You know, like we're just getting started. And by the end of the night, it's, it's now known as Barcelona. Dude. I mean, I don't know. I had 30-something shots of vodka probably because they were doing these vodka watermelon. Watermelon is my favorite thing on the planet. And I, I didn't eat watermelon for like five years after this. Um, and I had all – and I, everything. I jumped behind the bar and was grabbing bottles. The bartenders are furious. You know, because it's in, it's in Spain. You know, it, I mean, it was crazy. And Ryan, I remember Ryan coming up to me and he grabbed me on his shoulders, his wife, and he's like, what are you doing? I was like, I know exactly what I'm doing. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow, that's and, crazy. And I barely made the show the next day, I mean, wanting to die. And everybody on tour was dying because we'd all just gone so hard. <laughs> because you were pushing everybody. And I told him, I said, <clears throat> I said, I'm the tour manager. Like, I, I will show them that this is a party. I want you to let your hair down. and have, We have one show up in Portugal. We'll have Barcelona and Portugal. Like, I, I want them to know... I'm in, I'm in the, you know, we're going to do this, dude. So that was me touching the third rail. I mean, like it was worse than I thought. Like I, I really, for three, it was three days of like vomit and just, I mean, alcohol, certainly Dang. alcohol poisoning. And I did that knowing this is it. And so that's my last time I ever drank alcohol. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah that, and I told her, I remember cause Ryan was like, he was like, I think he was worried. Like, right. what are you doing? Like, did you tell them what you were doing that night? No, because they, it's to this day, they're like, dude, you're not, you're not an alcoholic. They're like, you don't have a problem. Well, yeah. Because they yeah. didn't know. And I was like, you guys have no idea. Mm. Like, you have no idea. Well, and that's the thing is people don't realize that you don't have to be a blistering drunk yes. to be an alcoholic. Correct. If you have, if you need that drink or how many ever, like, you got to be Correct. careful, you know. And so I didn't tell anybody this story for a long time, probably out of embarrassment. But now I've realized that, and I've been become so vocal about it because I've realized that I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if, if if me being just honest can help one person, which it has, then I've then it's all for that. Right. It's justified. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's why I'm vocal about it. it. By no means am I bragging, but um, I, I want I want to help. And so now I, I, I pride myself in being a sober tour manager. And that that's actually a thing, too. Yeah, right? because there's so many people struggling with addictions and, and life imbalances. Yeah. And I and I think so. My dad was an alcoholic his whole life. And um I've I do think which I don't I don't recall all the studies but I th- I don't think that there's a gene that passes down I think it's we learn from our parents what their coping mechanisms are and then also um, that we have an addictive nature so it's like we grab to something because I mean there's many things to be addicted to you know and some probably have more of a struggle to break it or not you know because like i think about my dad my stepmom whose dad was an alcoholic she marries my dad who was an alcoholic so that's kind of what she knew and then my mom divorced my dad and at one point she married an alcoholic you're like what are you thinking you know so you think about some of these people who that's kind of what they know what they're comfortable with so that's what they do and like my dad just never dealt with he had a lot of you know trauma and he he just never was able to deal with it so he had the addictive nature and just drank and um, always made me question my why. Why am I drinking? You know, and um, and so now I and I've kind of you know college was to get drunk, and then I didn't drink for seven years, and then I was like you know it's okay to drink, you know, um, and now I'm to a point of where it's like all right I'm maybe one beer an hour, you know, and so like I know my limit, and I also don't have a desire because even sometimes I'm going why do I want that beer? Like I mean I'm fine with having a Dr Pepper too, or you know 
something. But I like drinking. I like flavor. You know. So. Well, um, as yeah. You, as being a fellow seven, you know, like you know, one thing of us is like convictions and principles. Yeah. And so now I'm fired up because I don't. I'm not buying any of the propaganda that the alcohol lobbies are pushing out, and this whole this whole facade of the madman. Like I felt so hard for that whole madman trap of like, oh, you're supposed, to, especially in the entertainment business. I mean, alcohol is is pervasive, and I, I'm not buying this whatsoever of you know what they're selling the, the light, what are they selling i don't i guess i don't i don't watch commercials you know like uh take the edge off okay gotcha uh, you gotcha. know you gotta have the you know you, you're at the beach you gotta have a corona with lime bull crap your kids swimming in the ocean you need to be coherent yeah. in case they can't it, breathe like, right so right. i'm not buying any of that crap right. i'm not judging anybody but no the gig is up dude and so um when they say like when people say well i just need to take the edge off that breaks my heart because mm-hmm. you're supposed to have an edge right and that's why i love running it's like, give me an edge. I will break that edge off. I don't need to round out the edges. That's where, like, life exists. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you want to numb the pain? Like, why would you want to walk around numb to emotions, right? Like, deal with it head on and become better by it. So the whole concept of, like, well, I just want to take an edge off or, like, you know, it, it allows me to be easygoing and relaxed. Dude, you got problems and you need to go address them. Right. That's, that's the situation. 100. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's And so that is where running, be, I, and it, you know, some of my friends really busted my balls for quite a few years because it was like, man, you're just an addict. You've gone from drinking now to now, now you're just running. It's like, yeah, dude, exactly. And running like, this is okay. This is at least a healthy, right, yeah. Right, right. And so I, I use that for me as my, I, I dive headfirst into that, coming out a better person. You yeah. Know? And hey, to each his own, everything, I mean, you know, I will name drop greatly here. I was smoking a cigar. One Republic did some shows with you too, and I was at a party with after party and the edge walks up and he's like hey can i have a drag and we were like wait what yeah dude and, and he goes everything in moderation right and it was like one of the most pinch me moments ever but we laughed because it was like dude really and he was like well yeah of course he's like i'm not gonna like walk around smoking a cigar for an hour but like i think i have a cigar you know like mm-hmm. like just everything in moderation like you said i don't have that I, moderation sucks to me i don't mm-hmm. want moderation get out like moderation's the right lane i don't work in the right lane i don't even work in the left lane i want the median you should read <laughs> have you ever heard have you heard of uh um ba- uh, robbie gallaty long hollow baptist church no i know man he wrote a book and you talking about the passion and running full force towards everything i mean oh man he was dealing drugs at a young age doing drugs ended up getting into ministry and tap back into it and you know here's talking about jesus over here and he's doing drugs over here i mean it's just crazy but the addictive nature it's yeah some people definitely got to be cautious and that's why i think you know you got to respect people's decision because i could say well dude it's okay to have a beer and you're like no actually yeah it is but not for me yes you know like i know what it would do for me and um no i'm good with this you know yeah all right so uh let's see uh you talked about that. Let's talk. Let's talk about Nadine real quick. Um, how'd you meet her? Um, how'd you propose? And what would you say that you have loved about her in this journey? Are you gonna tell her this? Well, she can <laughs> listen to the podcast. Yeah. Um, so she has many sisters, six to be exact. And okay. I was wow. Friends, yeah, I was friends with a few of them at, uh, that I'd met through church here in Nashville in '01, and she was just wrapping up at UT. Um, and yeah, I mean, I remember the day I saw her, I was like, I, I, I want to marry her. Um, and they did not like that idea. None of the sisters of the family liked that idea whatsoever. Um, <laughs> understandably so. And, um, we are, I mean, you know, my wife, but we're very opposite in every sense of the, fa- you know, the word. Um, and I think it was like, 
you know, I was a lot to, to take in mm-hmm. when they looked at her because she's very black and white, very um, analytical, very processed, very thorough. Uh, none of those words could be used to describe me. And so I think they just were worried that, like, I'm this wild card that's going to break her heart or, you know. Right. At, at and best. how old are you at the time? Gosh, 22. Okay. Yeah, 23. Um, and I remember, dude, the first day, I, well, we were, we'd all hung, just were hanging out as friends. And I said, hey, do you want to go out? Do you want to go out uh, next week? She's like, yeah. So I, I remember going back to my apartment and I called her. I was like, hey, um, so, you know what? Like, we're going out. So I was like, I, I just meant like you and me. Is that okay? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, really? So yeah. So we, we went to Jackson's in Hillsborough Village. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I remember walking around Green Hills Mall before pre-gaming mentally because I was so nervous. And we went and sat down. And man, I told her straight out of the gate, like, all right, look, I moved to Nashville. I got a mission. I'm going to work in the music business. I, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to succeed at it. It's going to require me to be gone. And my attention is going to be there. If And I'm all or nothing. So if that's something you can see yourself this is the first date this is like the first two minutes of the first date. okay like if, if you can see yourself you know marrying a guy like me then let's then let's <laughs> let's try to date and if not then let's just be friends and she was like uh okay you know tell, and you know her personality she's like yeah okay whatever and i mean that like coming in hot dude like didn't really give her a choice so um yeah man that's it, she had it so so off we go and i remember her calling her sisters and stuff and they were like so freaked out by this like what you know and so she had she and her two of her sisters had already committed to going to lexington mm-hmm. uh, for uh, some of them were going up to uk so prior to us dating and so she had already committed so she moved to lexington so we never lived in the same city as we were dating and i would drive up there she would come down to nashville um i would see her on tour and then i went to mexico in oh two or three and on tour and bought where did no I didn't get the ring. I bought her some some uh uh souvenirs and I had had money, I'd saved up money and went to to uh Corey Jewelers here in Nashville, which is now Genesis Diamonds. Okay. Corey, the guy that started mm-hmm. that. And I bought like what I thought was the nicest ring. My wife always said she wanted a sapphire. Well, I'm a broke idiot and her family is already not into me and so the idea of me buying her not a diamond is like a fail. She, this is a lesson for the kids to listen to your wife. Mm-hmm. So I bought her a di- what I thought was this beautiful diamond. I get in my $300 beater Chrysler Baron and I drive to Lexington and I we, we go, I get to her house and she lived with her sisters and she's going through the souvenirs and I just put the ring in the bag and she pulls this out. She's like, what's this? It's like, will you marry me? And she, I remember she was like, like this? I was like, yeah. She's like, wait, you're serious? And I was like, yeah, she, this is how you're proposing? And I was like, yeah, why? She's like, I mean, like, you know, like, you know. And so then we drove to uh, Cincinnati and went to P.F. Chang's. No, I mean, that wasn't lame at all. No, dude, so lame. <laughs> and so so the joke in our in our marriage for a long time was this, the ring, like the sapphire. So I've since made up for it many. Yeah, and then I, the first time I went to Africa, I bought her a sapphire. I brought it home and it wasn't sufficient. It, it was like, no, this is not. This is just a sapphire so, ring. Were you nervous? So you just didn't give it any thought and how you propose or you just. I That's how I roll. Like, I don't want rehearsals. I don't want a script. Um, and sometimes they backfire. That was one of those yeah, moments. Yeah, for um, sure. That that would have been one. Yeah. Of and hindsight being 2020 certainly would have uh, talked this out with her sisters and family first. Mm. 
because that was like doubling down on the reasons to for them to hate me. Um, you know, like they were not. I mean, they told us like they they did not approve of this this this. Uh, so you get along with them all now? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We all live next to each other now. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so man, that uh, lessons learned. Um, and they say you know you marry your wife, you marry in the family. Right. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, that is correct. And to, it, and that's a great thing, and that's why it's important that you behave right. properly. Um, yeah, so, that's yeah, a good man. point. Good yeah. point. So we got married in White House. I think we spent three hundred bucks on our wedding. Um, my mom bought Famous Dave's. Nice. Yeah. Um, I was on tour with Shania, so I, I played Staples Center. Uh, took a, at that time there was a red eye. I think it was on Southwest, but you could go LA to Nashville. Flew home, went to the wedding, and then we went to the to the Keys for our anniversary because that's where the tour was around. Oh. And, and she dropped me back off at the airport. And that was that was how our marriage was defined. Was yeah. I was always gone, and, and we lived in Lexington for the first year of our marriage. I forgot about that. Yeah, we lived in Lexington, so the bus would come up oftentimes and pick me up outside. We lived right next to Rupp Arena, okay, and it would come up and pick me up, and off I would go. And she was working for a bank there at the time, and then we ended up moving back to Nashville because we just felt like I needed to be here if I was really going to like mm-hmm. do this for a living. Right, right. Um, yeah. So I mean, she's amazing amazing woman she's been through a lot of loss in her early on in life and it's to find her and how she deals with people she's so polite and and caring and loving and and calm and um i i've met a lot of people um a lot of smart people and i genuinely mean this i've met people that might be more on the spectrum or like savant and so you know they can excel at one thing but i to this day in all of my travels have not met someone as intelligent as my wife. My mm, wife wow. is the smartest person in the room. Hand, it's not, I, let me back up. It's not smart. It's wisdom. My wife is the wisest person mm. in the room. It's unbelievable. And she had, she's got the, she's a sponge and she has a gift of osmosis where she's, she, the woman reads three books a month on minimum and she soaks in so much knowledge and, and she's the perfect sounding board for, she's the family. She, you know, she, she, worked in psychology for years and she's that that's that it, rightfully so i mean she is a psychologist and mm-hmm. she listens and and can process um she's too slow in my book uh, to on getting ready to leave or um preparing or uh giving me her thoughts but it's for great reason because everything right. is meticulous and right. thought out and um man it's yeah it's i it's you know we just celebrate our 17th year wedding anniversary and it's taken me this long to truly understand like you're marrying the soul, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's this, the two, you know, I've, I've actually officiated two weddings. Like, and, and even then I didn't fully grasp like what it is when you're committing to someone for their life. And, um, you know, COVID I would have, I, I don't know how I would have survived COVID without mm-hmm. her. Um, and you know, we're all made better for her. Um, yeah. I mean, dude, I just, it's I, like, I still have a crush on her. I, yeah. I, I think about her often and it drives her nuts. It annoys her. She's, she's not one for affection and, I'm hyperly affectionate and my son yeah. is too. It's, it's the best, but no, and, and I'm very cognizant of that. He's always watching and listening. Mm-hmm. So I make sure to be excessive in my praise for her and mm-hmm. in my, uh, you know, and the best things ever are when he comes in and hugs both of us on his own. And it's like, I love you guys. You know, you're the best parents ever. Like, but I see him mimicking that and uh, I do that on purpose. And I tell him like, you know, I make sure that he knows and hears the high praise that I give her. Cause I right. want him to treat every woman like that and every human you know but um i mean i you know like any relationship there's up i mean dude last year was the hardest time of our life i mm-hmm. think my wife would admit it it was the most challenging time mm-hmm. in our marriage there mm-hmm. because my mom had just died then i lost my job and career and industry 
my identity was I, I didn't I, it was so challenging and then our marriage I'd never been home we mm-hmm. had never had to fight for the laundry we had never had to fight for the kitchen we had n- never had to f- get pissed off because we leave the toilet seat up like we never went through that because it's right. always been a honeymoon phase she's either flying out to some five star resort with me or I'm coming home briefly and so she can deal with it and then on I go this was like oh you ain't going anywhere and you're a curmudgeon because your mom's dead and because you don't know what you're and doing and then you're not happy correct because of all this stuff so you're yeah 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 and so man like now that we've come through this um, it's like this crucible it just mm. uh, I mean I, I have won the lottery like I, I firmly believe it. Um, we are a wonderful team. Um, I mean, it's unbelievable, dude. She's <laughs> she is. I I I. She is the strongest and most wise. It's unbelievable. Are you just saying that because she's married to you? As and that's why she's the wisest. Yeah. So clearly, she makes. She's great <laughs> at decision making. No, I. You know, it's just. It's it's really impressive. Yeah. Her, her yeah. Mental strength, dude. I mean, mm. I would put her up against Ken Jennings any day. Mm. You know, like. Um, yeah her just knowledge like her, her her she's very well read but she just know she just knows like her intuition my son like my son won life's lottery to have an idiot father like me and a, a like ground zero for his mom mm-hmm. because she's always listening she's always there well i'll definitely uh take this clip and send it to her yeah you'll have brownies <laughs> Sorry, brownie I, points forever i could go on forever about all that. right so from the great words of paul and timothy four seven i've fought the good fight i've finished the race i've kept the faith when your journey's over, what legacy are you hoping to leave? Um, yeah, man, I think that's that's that's. I mean, hey, I did mention Paul as being a. Guy mm, you did, and you like the race. Yeah, You're yeah, in the race. yeah. You know, I think leaving the relationships better off because I was in them would be, you know, my desire mm-hmm. um, to know that people were made better because I mm. had a direct impact on them. And that doesn't even necessarily mean we knew each other, but mm-hmm. just, you know, um, that they were loved by me, that I loved them regardless of their circumstance or decisions or lot in life that I, you know, I'm trying my best with the tools that I've been given to be a vessel for love. Mm-hmm. And gra- and within that is grace and mercy and kindness mm-hmm. and you know um, and dude I fail more than I succeed at it, um, but I keep getting up. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and so I, d- I would just hope that those who have been in my presence, while they know I'm a complete l- stark raving lunatic at times, I just hope that they could never question like, no, the dude might be an idiot, but God Dagnavity loves mm-hmm. me. You know, like that mm-hmm. that would be all I care yeah. about. I liked it. I liked it. All right. Well, we'll end it there. Um, good combo, and uh, I didn't know if I'd be able to get anything out of you. You Did know, you get anything out of me? nope. Only, <laughs> an, only an hour and thirty eight minutes. Man, so that's the warm up. Uh, that's the warm up. All right, Lampo. so now let's Lampo. do the. Um, all right. Well, I appreciate your time, dude. Thank you, man. Enjoyed it. Yeah, this and, is the uh, first podcast. I feel honored. Awesome. Right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, you had some good, good insight and wisdom. So, uh, I know others would be happy to hear everything you had to say. So, all right, man. Appreciate it. Dude, thank you. As you can tell from the conversation Mark and I had today, we had a great time. Make sure to uh, check out Kane Brown. Uh, Maybe you can go to one of his concerts and see Mark somewhere. Next episode, I'll be hanging out with Kaylee Cornett. She is the CEO of Hope Clinic for Women. 
Kaylee has served women facing an unplanned pregnancy and with women's clinics since she was 16 years old. She has a desire to show God's love through all she does, and that's very prevalent in our conversation. We chat about some of her childhood and why she eventually called Nashville home. We talked about parenting and the importance of having a great support system and how one of the best things you can do when facing a tough decision is pausing and give the decision some time. This pertains to all areas of life. Anyways, uh, make sure to check that out um, in the next episode. As always, thanks for your time listening to Nashville Untold. Hopefully you are enjoying this content. If you do have any other suggestions of people I might interview in the Nashville area, feel free to reach out to me. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe, share it with someone, and feel free to leave a review. As much as I do enjoy hanging out in the Rambler, meeting new people, and hearing their stories and sharing their stories, I do uh, have to pay the bills. So my full-time job is residential real estate in the Nashville area. So if you are looking to purchase a home or sell a home, or an investment property, make sure to give me a shout. If you're listening to this and you are not in the Nashville area and are in need of an agent, recently referred in uh, a friend of mine, an agent in Breckenridge and one in Florida. So can also put you in contact with other agents in other states and areas. Uh, feel free to reach out to me if that need arises. And as always, thanks for your time.